Welcome to the Perfect Puzzle. We are studying the book of Zephaniah, and we're beginning a study. We're in chapter 1. I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again that we can study your word. We ask you, Lord, to guide our hearts, minds, soul, spirit, and body in learning the things you have to say to us, Lord. I ask you to guide me as I speak and as I deliver what I believe to be an interpretation, Lord, of the things that you want us to know. And I ask you, Father, to do all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. The words of the Lord which came into Zephaniah, the son of Cush, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now, he, Zephaniah begins, he identifies himself as being of the royal family. Hezekiah was his great-great-grandfather. And he prophesied during the reign of Josiah, you know, which was the period of the last spiritual movement that took place in the southern kingdom of Judah. Was it a great revival? Didn't last a really long time, but there was a revival. Now, Zephaniah knew, knew something about the reigns of Ammon, and, who was an evil king, and of Ammon's father, Manasseh, who was a, a terrible king. He's the worst king Israel ever had uh, between the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Zephaniah saw judgment was coming upon Judah, and his message, consequently, is a very harsh one. Now, Zephaniah would have been a cousin to Josiah since he was Hezekiah's great-great-grandson. That would have given him unique access to the king. Now, from Second Chronicles 34.3, we know that Josiah was the king. You know, he was at the age when he was 16 years old. He had a genuine salvation experience as he sought after the God of, father, of David, his father. And because he was a cousin of Josiah, Zephaniah was more than likely instrumental in calling the people of Judah back to repentance. Now, in this little book, Zephaniah is talking about his present day as he warns the nation of Judah about his coming judgment. But at the same time, much of what he says applies to the Great Tribulation period of the seven years before Christ returns, which is still sometimes in the future. But before I go any further, I want to give you a word of caution. I want to share this with you, and it comes from my heart. Throughout my experience in ministry, I've found that people, whether Christian or not, are especially interested in eschatology. That's the study of prophecy, and especially the study of prophecy as it applies to the last days, just prior to the return of Christ. And it's kind of the way I separate a Christian from the non-Christian is that, by and large, the non-Christian is especially interested in the parts where the, as I call it, you know, the bad guys get theirs. I say that because a genuine Christian is deeply grieved at the knowledge of what happens to those people. And I've said all that to tell you and to ask you, examine yourself, determine why you are interested in Bible prophecy before we go further into this Bible study. Make sure your heart is in the right place. Zephaniah goes on in verse 2 to say, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, says the Lord. 
Now the land in scripture, that phrase, refers specifically to the nation of Israel. Now although the Lord's going to bring judgment upon the entire world inclusively, that judgment's going to be centered upon the people of Israel specifically. Because it's during that time that they will begin to be shaken up. They'll come to recognize Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And they're going to turn to him in great numbers. Now, Zephaniah is using really strong language. Because God says, I intend to judge. And what I do, I'm going to actually scrape the land. The land will be as if a dirt scraper had been run over it. Just as you wipe clean a dish. That's the way I intend to judge them. Now, and there's a worldwide devastation predicted here. The book of Revelation confirms this, and it places this time of judgment at the Great Tribulation period. And during that time, this earth is going to be absolutely denuded by the judgments that's going to come upon it. If you do all the numbers correctly in the book of Revelation, you're going to find that about five-sixths of the world's current population are going to be killed. And this is, going to, uh, this is going to happen right before God brings in the millennial kingdom and he renews the earth. And then, you know, we're going in Zephaniah chapter, uh, verse 3. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the land, says the Lord. You know, all living creatures are included in this judgment. Now, in Israel, they have a zoo up around the Sea of Galilee where they're making an effort. To, they want to gather together all the animals that were in existence in Bible days. They want to keep them in this zoo. Now, obviously, as the population of Israel increased, the same thing you know, is, happened as it's happened in the United States. Certain animal species become extinct. They disappear. And God says this is exactly what's going to happen when he judges the land. Many species, in fact, you know, most of them, if not all, are going to become extinct at that time. God's going to bring a severe judgment. And then he goes on to say, I will also stretch out my hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off the remnant of Baal from his place and the name of the Kimmerims with the priest. Now, God makes it clear Judah and Jerusalem are going to be singled out for judgment. I will cut off the remnant of Baal from his place. The thing that brings this judgment of God upon the land is very, very specific. It's idolatry. In Habakkuk, God mentions five woes he's going to bring upon the people because of certain sins which they committed. The, the fifth woe was idolatry. But here, Zephaniah narrows it down and puts, makes idolatry the one thing. And idolatry is false religion. Now, the scriptures, beginning with the book of Judges, teach, uh, actually teach a philosophy of human government, which you're going to find true of God's people. And it's been true of every nation that's ever been in existence. The first step in a nation's decline, <clears throat> excuse me, the first step in a nation's decline is religious apostasy. They turn from the living and true God. The second step down is moral awfulness. 
and to the third step down, which is political anarchy. There are a great many people in this country today that think our problem is in Washington, D.C. I don't think it is. There's certainly a you know an unruly group of people there, but a, there's another group of people you know feel that if we could be reformed, you know we could just get people to act nicely, get people not to be violent, not stop stealing. If we could just lift our moral standards, and that would solve our problems. I'm going to say I don't think that's the problem. You know, to be blunt, I really think and believe a problem in this country is religious apostasy. And the problem lies with you and, and me. Because the church has failed to give God's message. Now, I'm not talking about every church or not necessarily your church. There are a lot of Bible teaching churches in this country. They have wonderful pastors standing for God. We should all thank God for every one of them. But the great denominations, by and large, have departed from the faith. They're in a place where they no longer give an effective message to the nation. And as a result from their religious apostasy, we've stepped down into moral awfulness and what's becoming political anarchy. And if you think that I'm just being a fundamentalist preacher here, you're wrong. I want to give you an excerpt from an editorial in a major metropolitan newspaper quite a number of years ago. It speaks of the failure of the churches to present any spiritual message whatsoever. This is what the, this editorial c- concluded with. The betrayal of Christ in the name of Christianity is one reason for the moral and spiritual malaise with which this country is afflicted. The fact is, the churches no longer influence the development of national character. People go to church because of an impulse to participate in a service of worship, not because of any spiritual guidance they expect from the clergyman. Now think about that. Think about what a note of condemnation that is. But it, and think about it, it's not true just of this country, it's true of every country. You know, the historian Gibbon, you know, he came to the conclusion there were five reasons for the decline and fall of Rome. Now, Gibbon was not a Christian, but here's why he says Rome fell. Number one, the undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis of human society. Number two, higher and higher taxes. The spending of public money for free bread and circuses circuses for the populace. Number three, the mad craze for pleasure, sports becoming more exciting, more brutal, more immoral every year. Number four, the building of great armaments when the great enemy was within, the decay of individual responsibility. Number five was the decay of religion. Religion fading into mere form, losing touch with life, and losing power to guide the people. And the message of Zephaniah carries out the spiritual principle of human government. And he put his finger right down on the sore spot in the southern kingdom of Judah, idolatry. He saw, Zephaniah saw what was happening. People 
were now on the way down and out, and judgment was coming. And it's where every great nation has gone off track with idolatry. When a nation departs from the living and true God, when it gives up great moral principles or based on that religion of the living and true God, when it goes into idolatry, all that, you know, it eventually leads into gross immorality, which we certainly have today, and into political anarchy. And the interesting thing is that three kinds of idolatry are mentioned here. I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place. Now that first form of idolatry is the worship of Baal, which was introduced into the northern kingdom by Jezebel, whose father was the high priest of worship among the Sidonians. In Judah, the southern kingdom, the worship of Baal was popularized, and the altars of Baal were rebuilt during the reign of Manasseh. It illustrates why, you know, we should study at the same time the corresponding portions of, of prophetic and historical books of, of Scripture and compare the two. You know, at this point, it would be helpful for you to pause this recording and to go read the background of the reign of Manasseh in 2 Kings chapter 21 and 2 Chronicles chapter 33. No king ever departed as got as far from God as this man Manasseh did. He reintroduced the worship of Baal, very immoral form of worship. Along with the worship of Baal was the worship of Ashtoreth. You know, when the female principle is introduced into deity, you wind up with gross immorality. And that, of course, came into the life of the nation during that period. Baal worship was a form of nature worship, very crude, oh, by the way. When Josiah became king, and he was a good king, the first thing he did was to try to remove the worship of Baal. Now, the second kind of idolatry is the names of the Kimmerims with the priests. Kimmerims actually means black priest. They wore black garments and practiced the occult. Have you ever noticed that those who engage in Satan worship today wear black? Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's not original with them. It comes back, it goes back to these idolatrous priests who wore black robes. And Zephaniah says that these priests are to be judged. Now, the, three kind, uh, the third kind of idolatry mentioned it comes in verse 5. And them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops, and then that worship and that swear by the Lord, and that swear by Malcolm, Malcolm, M-A-L-C-H-A-M. And them that worship the host of heaven upon their housetops. That's about astrology. Okay? It's more subtle and very dangerous indeed. The housetops were flat, and were where the family gathered in the evening. In fact, God gave a law about putting a banister, put a railing around the roof so no one would fall off. And Zephaniah is saying that housetop became a place of worship. And you can see how idolatry was moving into the homes. Every home was a little heathen temple where idolatry was practiced. You now, idolatry was you know, really reaching into the home. And then that worshiped the host of heaven, the sun, the moon, the stars, 
worship of the creature rather than the creator. They worship that which had been made rather than worshiping the creator. Now the worst and the most sophisticated, the most subtle of all the forms of idolatry is in them that worship and that swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcolm. Malcolm is the name of Molech, the god of the Ammonites. This was worship in which they actually sacrificed their children. And the subtlety of it was that at the same time, according to this little section of that verse, same time they're doing these things, they profess to worship the living and true God. Oh, they went to the temple. They said they knew the Lord, that they believed in God. But they also worshiped Molech. That's a subtle thing. It's also taking place today, whether you know it or not. There are many so-called churches that in the wildest stretch of your imagination could never be called Christian churches. True church is built around a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. The early church met together to worship and adore him, to come to know him, and to have fellowship around him. Everything they did pointed to Jesus Christ. How many churches do you know of where Christ is not even mentioned? And if he is mentioned, it's in a derogatory manner. In other words, his deity is denied. They deny that he's God. They don't worship him. They give lip service to him, of course. They talk about the teachings of Jesus and talk about, oh, what a wonderful man he was. Now, they even called him at one time a superstar. But they deny everything has been set down in the scriptures for us as Christians. Now, this is castrated Christianity. That, these are the kinds of idolatry happening in the land of Judah. Still, People still going through the rituals, still going to the temple on the Sabbath. I don't think they came any other time, but they were there on the Sabbath. And then they'd go out and worship Molech. Molech, the god of the flesh, the god of pleasure, fleshly worship, gross immorality. You know, there are people that go to church today, they have a churchianity, but not a Christianity. They deny the great facts of Christian faith. They practice immorality, practice things that are contrary to the word of God. That's the picture of Judah in that day, and it's the subtlety of the time in which we live. Now, there are a lot of people think, you know, as long as a building has a steeple with a bell in it, an organ, a big center aisle for weddings, an altar puppet, pulpit down front, and a choir loft, well, that building's a church. And we got us a church. And it may be one of the worst spots in town. Worse than any bar room or any gambling establishment or any brothel. It's very deceptive. Now, the thing to undermine the nation of Israel Judah, that they pretended they were serving the living and true God, but they were giving themselves over to Molech and idolatry. And on to verse 6 and 7, them that, them that are turned back from the Lord and those that have not sought the Lord are acquired for him. The people have turned completely from God. And they, two, two classes of people are mentioned. There's backsliders you got those who were never saved. 
Hold your peace at the presence of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has bid his guests. That's verse 7. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord. The idea here is, hush. Don't talk out. Don't speak out. No protesting. You're in the presence of the living God. There's a great lack of reverence for God today. You know, the notion is, you know, Jesus is some, some sort of a buddy. You know, he's a man upstairs. And let's face it, we can be very flippant when we speak about God. And all of those are wrong. Our God is a holy God. If we were to come within a billion miles of him, we'd fall down on our faces because of who he is. The great God, the creator of the universe. We are merely little creatures. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. Why? For the day of the Lord is at hand. This is the first mention of the day of the Lord in Zephaniah. The great day at the day of the Lord is the time of judgment. If you want to fit it into God's program for the world, it's the great tribulation period. That's when it begins. You know, we're living in the day of Christ, the day of grace. The day of the Lord will begin when the church leaves this earth. That's when God's going to begin to move in judgment. Prior to that day, which is still in the future, there have been times which have been likened to the day of the Lord. When Nebuchadnezzar came third time and destroyed Jerusalem and burned it to the ground, he, you know, plowed it under. He left the land bare. They were later followed by the Medo-Persians, then Alexander the Great, and then the Romans. Enemy after enemy has come into that land, and God made it very clear that it was what he was going to do, and he did it. And, you, know, you can find evidence of that still there today. The judgment for those people was the day of the Lord. But it doesn't completely satisfy the, all these prophecies. Zephaniah made it clear the day of the Lord is the day which is yet in the future, which will end when Christ comes and establishes his kingdom here upon this earth. And with almost biting sarcasm, Zephaniah says, For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, he has bid his guests. You know, he's asked his guests to come. They're going to be the sacrifice, by the way. And the sacrifice is judgment that's coming upon this nation. Then we'll go to verse 8. We'll stop there for this time. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. Now the thought here is that the rulers have turned away from God. And all you have to do is refer to the time when Zedekiah ruled. Zedekiah was the last king. The Babylonians killed his children in front of him, right before his eyes. And then his own eyes were put out. 2 Kings 24 and 25. Harsh judgment. They had been warned by God to these people. This was like the day of the Lord. But we'll pick it up there next time. This has been the perfect puzzle.
thank you for listening.